May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. I'm here today with my partner, Alan Gaynor, in our corporate department. How you doing, Alan? Rich, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm terrific. We're going to talk about business divorce, a term we hear a lot about in the law. So let's start with basics, Alan. What's a business divorce? Yeah, good question. So a business divorce is essentially a breakup of a closely held business. And it could take many forms, but the most common of the forms are basically one or more partners or control persons parting ways via some buyout or the complete liquidation and dissolution of the closely held business. And needless to say, a primary cause for such business divorces is chronic disagreement or deadlock as to management. And accordingly, disagreement and deadlock will be the primary focus of our discussion today. Disagreement and deadlock. Well, let's start with, uh, you say, a closely held business. And I think you're distinguishing from, for example, a publicly held business. Yes, that's correct. And in particular, one that will have a handful of owners as opposed to maybe 70 or 80 disparate owners. Okay. So a small number of owners operate a business, and for whatever reason, they don't get along anymore and need to go their separate ways, hence the business divorce terminology, right? Correct. In your view, is business divorce on the rise? Well, there seems to have been certainly a a growing incidence of business divorce, and it's not surprising given the difficult year that we've all endured. But what's interesting is the unrest isn't limited to simply businesses that are failing or otherwise suffering. And in our practice, regrettably, we're seeing increased partner discord in healthy, thriving enterprises. Meaning that even companies that are doing well the owners might not get along anymore. Correct. Or have a different view as to uh, the long-term strategy that the business should take. Okay. So let's talk about what happens when businesses reach a juncture like that, where the owners don't get along anymore. There needs to be some sort of separation. If they can't get along on running the business then often they can't get along on how to break up the business. How does it play out, generally speaking? Right. So there's been a lot written recently and talked about regarding business persons getting out of contractual arrangements and business ventures. And the news has been replete with legal theories that include force majeure events, frustration of purpose, impossibility of performance, material adverse change walkaways, management deadlocks, judicial dissolution, and other types of remedies that I would refer to as atypical or extraordinary legal theories and strategies. And they're extraordinary in the sense that courts may not invoke them. So what business partners should do is not bank on these theories that they're reading about or these remedies. Simply, absent the existence of a precise and narrow set of facts, Courts 
do not typically invoke these kinds of extreme remedies, and they won't simply break up a problematic business venture, equitably divide the business assets, and instruct their partners that they're free to go on their own merry and separate ways. Absent again, and I can't stress this enough, an agreement that provides for specific breakup mechanics, it is hard to liquidate and dissolve a business through judicial intervention. That's been my experience, too. I've been litigating for 30 years, and in a number of circumstances, I've litigated this kind of dispute between owners of a closely held business. And you can't just march into a courtroom and say, oh, it's not working anymore. We want a divorce. In that sense, it's kind of different from seeking a a matrimonial divorce. A court won't just grant you out of nowhere a breakup of the company, right? Right. And to further complicate this, how far a court will go to break up a problematic relationship is not uniform or clear. And it varies from state to state. And it's largely a function of the state in which the business was formed. And also, and this is crucial, it's a function of the type of business entity involved. And what I mean by that is whether the venture takes the form of a corporation or a limited liability company or a partnership or just some unincorporated venture. So this can alone- you, can you, oh, I'm sorry, Alan. I was going to say, can you help us with that a little more? What are the sort of differences between those entities in this context? Right. Corporations- are by and large creatures of a statute and limited liability companies and partnerships are by and large creatures of contract. And because of that and other reasons, judges will often say that in an LLC, in a partnership, you could have provided in your contractual documents how to handle a lot of these problems. And if you didn't, shame on you. You're left with the venture and you're left with your partner. So the choice of entity and the choice of state of incorporation could actually determine the outcome. And for instance, New York State is a jurisdiction that's fairly loathsome at dissolving LLCs because of management deadlock. And it doesn't recognize a number of other legal theories like minority LLC member oppression. And in contrast, New York law is much more favorable as to the judicial dissolution of a deadlocked corporation. But that is not to suggest that if you're an LLC, even a New York LLC, you should go out and convert that LLC to a corporation. But what I'm trying to stress today and what it means is that the agreements governing your LLC or governing your partnership, frankly, all entities, including corporations, should address the issues relating to deadlock and management disagreements. Okay. So there are a lot of factors that go into deciding what kind of business entity you're going to have, if it's going to be a corporation or an LLC, for example. I think that's something you probably deal with in setting up businesses, right? Absolutely. So what I hear you saying is one of the factors is the ability to unwind things. That is something you might consider when selecting your corporate form, and that is also something you should consider 
when you're drafting your initial agreements. Absolutely. So how do you go about incorporating that, let's say the parties are going to do a partnership as opposed to a corporation for whatever reason? I mean, I know there are different factors to consider, but how do you go about setting up that agreement to have exit provisions? Right. So what I mentioned was we're going to focus on deadlock And I consider that the absolute worst case scenario, particularly with respect to the closely held business, two or more persons, or scenarios where significant governance events requires unanimous approval. In those instances, there has to be a means to break up the deadlock. And if there isn't an easy mechanic to break up the deadlock, the agreement can adopt and have certain provisions in it that allow for the parties to part ways. In those instances, the courts are not judicially dissolving the entity. They're lending credence to the plain meaning of the contract and honoring the contract. So we really encourage clients who are entering into ventures that have potential for deadlock because they're closely held or there are provisions that otherwise require unanimous consent to adopt a variety of provisions that can work through the deadlock. That makes sense. Much easier to set forth that kind of thing at the beginning of a company rather than figure out how to deal with it at the end. Absolutely. And regrettably, when folks are forming a venture, they're not thinking about divorce. But these mechanics and provisions, in my experience, often inspire good conduct and are more about encouraging good faith deliberation more so than they are about breaking up the partnership and allowing the partners to go their own ways. Now, let's say somebody, a client, didn't take your good counsel on hashing this all out in the formative agreements or Perhaps you meet a client well down the road, and they have agreements that you weren't involved in drafting, and they nonetheless have what they think is an unresolvable conflict with their partners. What do you generally advise them to do? So the first step is always to review the operative partnership agreement or LLC agreement or in the corporate setting, the shareholders agreement, and see if there's a provision on point that can be invoked that addresses this problem. Um, what we typically encourage is uh, if, 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 if there are problems, even if it's not in the existing document, can the parties sit down and build in mechanics, although not ideal, but build in mechanics at that point in time that will help avoid these problems in the future to the extent that the parties are not willing to negotiate fairly. It's regrettable, but sometimes the remedies are not existing. They'll go into court, they'll take their best shot at getting a judicial dissolution, if there was a frustration of purpose with respect to the LLC or the partnership, the courts are more likely to dissolve. But if all it is is a deadlock, that could be fatal. And the courts have often, as I'm sure you're aware of, left parties 
together, notwithstanding the uh, acrimonious relationships that they were suffering. Alan, yeah, that is my experience, too. I think that in cases dealing with closely held corporations and acrimony between the owners, where there is actual bad conduct, where one of the owners has committed fraud or theft or is usurping a corporate opportunity for their own purposes, where they've committed some sort of legal wrong that can be addressed, that's one thing. The courts are still available to address that. But if it's simply owner A and owner B don't get along anymore and don't agree on the business decisions, the courts don't usually get involved in that absent some instruction in the agreement to do so. We didn't talk about it yet, but you can also structure these agreements to include dispute resolution mechanisms like sending the parties off to mediation or arbitration if they have a dispute, right? Oh, absolutely. And needless to say, recognizing the dire circumstances of an agreement that does not address these kinds of issues coupled with certain jurisdictions that are loathsome to liquidate and dissolve an LLC, we always encourage our clients in these situations to find an independent third party who both sides trust, who can sit down and try to mediate this controversy. So I do too. The parties are usually better equipped to resolve a dispute than are the courts. And also, litigation is inherently expensive, inefficient, long. It doesn't lend itself to the kind of immediate resolution that conflicting business owners seek. They want a dissolution right away. They want to resolve their deadlock right away. That's hard to walk into court to do. You can get an injunction for bad conduct, but you can't get a court to make an order tomorrow on how the parties should get along going forward. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, a couple other things about the business divorce term. I do notice, and I wonder if you notice this too, that these disputes can be highly emotional. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So... (laughs) That, too, is sort of an element of the divorce aspect of it, is that the parties are pretty heated up. There can be a lot of bad blood. There can be a lot of bad feelings. It's often about more than the money. Back to your point, that sometimes it's owners of successful businesses that can't stand each other anymore. And you're asking them to split the baby, to split their creation. And that's often very difficult. And uh, sometimes it's not advisable or feasible to split the business or split up the assets. We've had scenarios where investment pools consisting of works of art, vintage automobiles had to be split up, and the distrust was so great that coins were being flipped, the type of coin was specified, the witnesses were specified, the height of the flip had to be assessed just to determine who chooses first, the pieces of art or the automobiles. And also a business breakup that results in some kind of a liquidation of the the entity could prematurely bring upon the partners a taxable event, which is 
not always a desired result. More often than not, it's not a desired result. Right. That is a major economic factor in these disputes. Which leads to, you know, another point, which is valuation. And along with proper organic documents, your partnership agreement, LLC agreement, what have you, having proper dispute resolution mechanics and maybe buy-sell provisions to avoid deadlock, there really should be some consideration as to what happens if there is a parting of the ways or a buyout of one partner? How is the buyout on the equity valued? Is it formulaic? Is it simply determined at some future date? And the case law on these points isn't consistent either. Courts don't always lend uh, uniform interpretations to such terms as fair market value versus fair value. Get those terms confused. In New York, one allows for discounts, the other does not. So a lot of thought has to be given to the constituent documents of any kind of business venture as to dispute and what is the result of a dispute that cannot be resolved. I couldn't agree with that more. Let's hear, Alan, a little bit about your practice in the corporate department. What do you do aside from helping business partners who don't get along anymore? Right. So I'm a corporate lawyer specializing in business law, mergers and acquisitions, and securities law. I help businesses at all stages of their existence whether it's formation and capital raising needs of an early stage company or a startup, the day-to-day as well as extraordinary and strategic needs of a more mature business, whether it's mergers and acquisitions or divestitures, and then ultimately the terminal needs of businesses nearing the end of their corporate existence, such as business divorce of the type we're chatting about today and other liquidations and dissolutions. I think we call that cradle-to-grave coverage for uh, business entities. Cradle-to-grave coverage. Well said, Rich. All right. At the end of these podcasts, we like to give a little closing argument. What do we want to say? What kind of takeaway do we want to leave for people on the issue of business divorce? Right. So as business people, as humans, thinking about things of the type we discussed today It's not pleasant. We know that. It's no different than thinking about testamentary wills, healthcare proxies, life insurance, and the like. Because of this, we all know operative agreements often sit in a drawer never to be thought about. What we've learned about judicial dissolution and deadlock today, I hope it inspires people to realize, given the uncertainty of the law, Leaving these documents in a drawer not to be looked at is not a good thing. Partner disharmony is not uncommon. At times, it can be healthy. And therefore, disharmony does not mean a business breakup is inevitable. And as mentioned, well-crafted agreements typically provide roadmaps for avoiding dissent. And to the extent a parting of the ways is inevitable, these agreements typically provide mechanics by which business separation can be achieved efficiently and in a private manner without court intervention or public scrutiny. That's really an excellent point, Alan, because we we didn't mention that one of the problems of going to court to resolve these disputes is you're airing all of your dirty laundry in a public forum. Right. And I will say I've worked through 
a significant number of complex business controversies. And I'm pleased to say, in many instances, business divorce was avoided. And dare I say, a harmonious business relationship was restored. So with proper planning, calm minds, and a little luck, business divorce can be avoided. Excellent. Well, that is a a very good primer on business divorce. I appreciate you bringing it to us today and joining us. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here today. All right. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, take care. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.